All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you, each week I'm also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? To sign up for Chen's letter or my letter, go to miningstocks.com miningstocks.com. You do need to put your name on the waiting list to sign up for Chen. He'll be accepting new subscribers at the beginning of the next calendar quarter uh, for the first uh, half a month, basically, uh, through, uh, would be in July. I want to thank each of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel. also like to encourage you to keep your questions and comments and Whatever you have to say, coming to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. The question's the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And I'd like to invite you to follow me on Twitter under uh, my handle is jtaylormedia. jtaylormedia. Also want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Our sponsors for today's show are Carlisle Goldfields, RN Resources, Copper Bank Resources, and Calinex Mines. I've titled today's show... Making this mean, nasty gold bear market your friend. Well, Rick Rule and Michael Oliver will be returning today, and uh, Michael will be with me just momentarily here. Uh, Abraham Drost will be with us for the first time. He's the CEO of an up-and-coming Canadian gold mining company, uh, Carlisle. Uh, Carlisle Goldfields, in fact, one of our sponsors. He will be with me at about a quarter past the hour. Uh, Michael Oliver, who I really love to have on the show because of his savvy market expertise and market views, which at least from a technical, as, as technical analysts go, I find about as useful and about as important and accurate as anybody I've worked with or dealt with or looked at over the years. So I'm really happy that he's agreed to come on on a fairly regular basis. He'll be with me in just a couple of minutes. We, of course, want to focus on gold and the precious metals to a great extent, but also time permitting uh, some of the other markets like stocks and bonds and oil. Uh, thereafter, uh, Abraham Drost at about uh, about a quarter after will be with us, and then after him, Rick Rule, the chairman of Sprott U.S. Holdings, will join me uh, to help us turn this very nasty gold bear market into a friend rather than a foe. At least we hope Rick can help us do that. Um, but right now, Michael is with me, and I'm really glad to tell you that he is. Uh, 
uh, want to hear what he has to say. Welcome, Michael. Thanks for joining me again. Okay, thanks for having me back on. Thanks. Always good to talk to you uh, about these markets. I must say I really thoroughly enjoy your frequent market missives that come through, and especially the weekend ones, because you seem to sort of round everything up, uh, the most important markets at least. And I should tell our listeners, it's OliverMSA.com. Oliver, M is in Mary, S is in Sam, A is in Albert.com. Go there to learn more about Michael's services. And if you are an accredited investor, you may want to consider subscribing to Michael's letter. It used to be available only to major corporations, but now he is making it more broadly available uh, to the investing public. Michael, on your weekend uh, report, uh, you noted that we last saw some weakness in gold. Uh, and in your weekend missive uh, to your paid subscribers, you said, and I quote, gold is into multiple weeks of short-term decline, aging in the process in MSA's views, noting that a downtrend structure has developed on a on this short-term oscillator. You noted that uh, we need to, to see a daily close above uh, 1197 this week uh, to convincingly shift out of a negative short-term trend. Uh, but if in, a, if in the event we are na- not able to exceed 1197, you, you noted that uh, by May 8th, the hurdle will be somewhat lower at 1188. Well, today now we've seen some considerable strength in the gold market. I think I was looking at 1213 or something like that as we were approaching showtime. Um, if your bets are on the bullish side of this market, Michael, what, what would make you very comfortable? Uh, are you feeling a bit more comfortable now? How do you feel now about being a long-term bull, if, if indeed that's the position you're taking? Well, I'm, I can't put myself in that position yet, but I do think the bear market is essentially over, if not totally over. I think that low in November was it. The retest in March was a successful retest, didn't, didn't reach the November low. And I think the market's just waiting, coiling up uh, just below potent structures on long-term momentum that say, okay, not only are we not going down, we're, we're turning up. After all, gold at these price levels, if you just take a chart and look back at the last year and a half, you've oscillated either side of 1,200 for a year and a half, two years now. So it's really not going down. It's just not going up to satisfy the bulls and also not going down to satisfy the mini bears. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's sort of a range-bound situation, but it's holding its own very well uh, even though I regard it as inverse to the S&P, uh, if you look at an S&P chart uh, for the last uh, several months, anyway, the upside, you would think gold is probably at $900. It's not. Mm-hmm. Uh, that mm-hmm. in, in itself is a statement, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, my big numbers on gold that really get me excited is not that short-term upturn that we had from last Friday's close through yesterday, which flipped the, as far as I'm concerned, flipped the short-term trend back up. Mm-hmm. Forget the short-term trend. Those change every four, five, six weeks. Uh, the big numbers are... 1255 uh, this quarter, any monthly close at that level. Well, that's about 3.5% above where we are right now. So it's not a yeah. big, you know, it's not a reach. Uh, and then I've got another tier in the 12, high 1270s. Uh, and if I got through both those levels, as far as I'm concerned, that's it. It's done. We're going up. And mm-hmm. I think it could be of the tone of a bottle rocket. Uh, I think you, you've got a couple hundred dollars easy travel without much resistance. I'm also watching silver. Uh, silver is actually poised a little bit better than gold to achieve its first tier breakout. Right now, silver is about sixteen fifty-eight, fifty-nine. Uh, it's been toying around for the last month or two. Uh, we had a high early in the month at I think seventeen thirty, but if you can close a month out around seventeen twenty, any month during this quarter, I think it's broken out. 
um, and I would look at both gold and silver for the confirming of each other. But they both look poised to go up, uh, and I would say they're lawyering with intent <laughs> to do okay. that. Uh, and, and they have bottle rocket potential. Is that the, I think is that the picture that you out. painted? I think the, uh, the verticality could be swift, not, uh-huh. not, not, not layered, not, not burdensome, but just whoosh uh, yeah. before you get to any sizable resistance in either of them. Yeah, well, you know, that that's music to my ears, Michael, and I have to, you know, we all have to be careful uh, that we don't believe what we want to believe, and I know one of the things that I value about your service is that uh, you're agnostic with respect to the markets, which way they're going to go. You say, I'll let the numbers talk to me, and then I'll make up my mind, and so from a structural momentum, structural uh, basis, you you make your decisions, uh, and so you're always, I guess, sort of assessing in your own mind probabilities of one direction or another, short term, longer term. It's uh, tough to do that sometimes, particularly in the case of gold, because I get in the business and the commodity side back in the mid '70s when they legalized it, and I'm I'm a gold bug, uh, but I'm a, also a technician, and yes. <laughs> you've got to fit the two together. And the gold market breathes like any other market breathes. And I think it's had its exhale. I think it's ready for an inhale again. So. Right. Right. Well, good. Well, thanks. And I, you know, certainly want to hear that. Uh, but at the same time, as you say, you have to put your emotions aside and, and look at reality as much as you possibly can. With about three and a half minutes, three minutes or so left to go. Uh, what about oil? I'm looking at a long-term chart for oil, and my goodness, it, this, in fact, I pulled up a 25-year chart for oil. You saw that spike up to $150 before the uh, Lehman Brothers uh, debacle and the, the financial crisis, and we went from 150 down into the 30s, 35 or so, climbed back up to around 100 for, for a couple of years here there, and now or for several years, uh, sort of bouncing around and hitting up to 110 even. This most recent decline was almost as spectacular, or half as spectacular. It, was, it stands out as one of the greatest bear markets in the last 25 years that we've seen in oil. Um, you think we're in a basing period yet, or, or do you think we could still see? I think we've still entered see- the basing pattern. That doesn't mean you've seen your low, but I think from the point of view of are you, do you have serious more downside, uh, forget it. Uh, we broke down at $96, according to my work, dropped down to uh, a low of just above 42 recently. Uh, what more do you want? I mean, yes, it can labor and, and build a base, which is what I expect. I think this rally is not going to succeed, but I don't think that means we're going to $20 oil. I think what it means is this rally needs to peter out, roll back over, and continue the basing process that we had from roughly December through March, really. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of sideways ink, and I think this effort to come up out of that ink by getting above 54, which had been a ceiling for several months, is phantom. I don't think it holds. But uh, that doesn't put me in a big bear camp. I think, you know, if, if you missed the big bear, the move from 96 into the 40s, you missed it. Don't worry about the residue. And I think the the problem with oil is that its break is recent, meaning in the last several months. Most of these markets that have been beaten up badly, like gold, silver, sugar, and so forth, they've done a lot of basing. Right. And they've, they've paid their dues. I think oil has more dues to pay in terms of uh, time submerged, put it mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. So you're not at all, Michael, you're not at all... Um Surprised by the move from what from the lows of about forty three, forty four, up to fifty eight, no, huh? 
Hey, I had a report a few weeks ago. I, I argued we'd have a bull trap here, meaning we, we'd break out above the 54 level, but and it would no doubt excite some people because it's a very clear price chart breakout. But my momentum works is not, it's, it doesn't have sustainability in all likelihood, in which case it's, it's a teaser. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I don't think it, if you bought into it, you're going to be destroyed, but I, I don't think you're going to make any money, unless mm-hmm. you're a trader, that is. Uh, right. For those looking for investment situations in oil, I think those opportunities will continue to exist for several more quarters, while right. oil itself undergoes a, a, a writhing uh, horizontal-type basing action. All right. Uh, Michael, with about 30 seconds left to go, you still uh, still see the uh, the S&P and the major U.S. equity indices in a topping yes. process? Yes, definitely. Uh, in fact, in late last year, I projected that if we made a new high, and I wasn't sure we would above last year's high, we'd get to uh, 2130. And, and in March, I, I refined that to a precise number. I said 2160. Uh, excuse me, 2126. Uh, we got the 2125.92 yesterday. <laughs> uh, it would be funny. <laughs> uh, I'm not saying it has to stop there. There is some momentum resistance there that is very clear on long-term momentum, not on price. Uh, and we wobbled hard from there, 30 points, in fact. So it would be very curious if we can't overcome that very soon because that might have been, might have been uh, the high of this move. Next month, if you get the S&P down in the 2070s or lower, I think we've topped all right. Well, we'll keep our eyes on it and look forward to talking to you again, uh, hopefully next week. Uh, Michael, thank you so much for joining me. Folks, you, let me just remind you again, OliverMSA, MarySamAlbert.com, OliverMSA.com for more information uh, on Michael Oliver and his excellent work. Thank you, Michael, again for being with us. Look forward to talking to you again next week. Well, folks, don't go away. We've got to take a commercial break here, but when we come back, we're going to be talking to Adam Drost. He's the, well, this would be the first time that Adam's with us, or Abraham Drost, I'm sorry. He's the president and CEO of Carlisle Goldfields, uh, a very excellent story, a, a company that I've featured in my newsletter, so uh, I think it's got tremendous upside potential, so I hope you'll stick around and listen to what Abraham Drost has to say don't go away we'll be right back when it comes to business you'll find the experts here voice america business network where infrastructure meets grade carlisle goldfields a tsx listed canadian junior miner has an advanced gold asset in Lynn Lake, Manitoba, Canada, and is being carried through feasibility in a joint venture with NYSE-listed Orico Gold. The Lynn Lake Gold Camp has an open pitable gold resource of 1.7 million ounces measured and indicated and 2.3 million ounces inferred. Orico is in it to build it, and the project is expected to be in mineable reserves by Q3 2016. Government and First Nations support Carlisle's move to production at Lynn Lake. Orin Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource, outlined by drilling thus far, stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Orin is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really glad to have with me for the first time Abraham Drost. He's the president and CEO of Carlisle Goldfields, and uh, he is a registered professional geoscientist. He's had over 25 years of experience in the Canadian mining industry, and he's served uh, as a board member or in senior management uh, teams for several Canadian companies, companies like Premier Gold Mines, uh, Premier Royalty Corporation. Um, he was a director of Premier Royalty. Uh, he also was a president and director of Sabina Gold and Silver Corporation, uh, also a former president and director of Sand Spring Resources. These are names that are well known to people that are in this sector who invest in the in this sector. Um, and so he's had quite a quite a background. Uh, early in his career, he toiled as a consulting geologist with the uh, Mines and Minerals Division of the Ontario government. So Adam, as I say, has has quite a strong technical and managerial background uh, in mining, which is one of the reasons uh, when he joined. Uh, Carlisle Goldfields that I became very much interested in following the story and uh, and the main reason why I have added it to my newsletter, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks. Uh, Ab- Abram, I'm really glad that you could join me. Thanks for, for taking the time to talk to us today. Well, thank you, Jay. It's nice to be here. Really good to have you. And I should tell our listeners, uh, your stock trades in Toronto under the symbol CGJ. Uh, you can buy it down here in the States under the symbol uh, CGJCF. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, Abraham, but uh, 54.6 million shares outstanding, I believe, something like that. Is that yep, make, correct? Is, is that an up-to-date figure? Uh, I saw trading in the U.S. down here earlier today at, in the 23 to 24 cent U.S. Uh, market in U.S. dollars. Uh, gives it a market cap of only around 13 million dollars, if my arithmetic is correct, and that's despite the fact that the company has uh, a lot of gold ounces in the ground. Uh, so sure. I'd like to start out, uh, Abraham, and ask you a little bit to talk to us a little bit about your project in Manitoba. You have um, a couple of deposits up there, I think maybe four different ones, but there's two in particular that you are really focused on moving uh, through the economic stages, uh, the McClellan and the Farley Lake projects. Uh, What can you tell our listeners about what you know about those projects, about the economics of those projects, and uh, how far away might you be from putting them into production? Sure. Well, thanks, Jay. Uh, well, certainly what attracted me to the uh, to the project uh, in Lynn Lake, Manitoba, owned by Carlisle and in joint venture with Arico Gold, uh, AUQ on the TSX, um, basically it was a combination of infrastructure and grade. Uh, Lynn Lake, Manitoba is a former mining camp. Uh, the two assets that you mentioned, the Farley Lake and the McClellan, they're both past producers. They each produced 200,000 ounces apiece. And, uh, and as a result, uh, being brownfield sites, uh, we feel that the permitting of those sites as we move through feasibility uh, will be simplified somewhat. Because, again, we're not dealing with, uh, you know, pristine wilderness. We're dealing with a mining town. We're dealing with a mm-hmm. mining camp. And I think that's what Arico recognized when they came in, uh, did a, a private placement 
into uh, Carlisle in November at 52 cents a share. Uh, you know, that was at 100% premium to the stock price at that time. And in addition to that, uh, they, they, they bought 25% interest in the project as a toehold on a joint venture. Now, um, you know, they have the right to go to 51% by spending 20 million Canadian over the next three years. And, uh, and then they can go to 60% by delivering a compliant feasibility study. So at the end of the day, Carlisle, uh, you know, uh, can be a junior partner on one of Canada's next mine developments. And according to the timeline, you know, that, uh, that's been provided to us by Arico, to your question, when would we expect to see cash flows from this project? Well, we would go through various benchmarks delivering a feasibility in either late 2016 or early 2017. Uh, construction decision post permitting in 2018 and cash flows in 2020. That's about five years from now. And, uh, you know, uh, given what we've been through over the last six years since the global financial collapse, five years, in my opinion, goes pretty quick. Yeah. Well, then, uh, once you get to, if, uh, if Arika goes to 60%, are you then required to contribute your 40%? Yes, we would be a full participating uh, junior uh-huh. partner. As it is right now, we're uh, we're fully carried through feasibility, and uh, but in addition to that, the partners each fund two million a year uh, on exploration outside the feasibility study area, which is uh, kind of exciting because we as Carlisle operate on the exploration side, and we have here we are with a four million dollar exploration budget, uh, which is uh, kind of a rare bird in these uh, difficult markets. Boy, it really is. Uh... So, did I hear you correctly? Did you say that these, how much did these two different mines produce? How much a year? How many ounces? They produced when they were in production uh, in the in the in the 1980s and 90s uh, by Share Gold, a division of Shared Gordon Mines, and uh, and by Blackhawk Mining in the case of Farley Lake in the 1990s. Uh, they each produced in the 200,000 ounce range. Uh, wow. Farley Lake was open pit. The average head grade open pit at Farley at the, in those days was 4.2 grams, which, uh, which I think you'll agree is astonishing grade for open pit mining. My goodness. Uh, our, re- our resource at Farley Lake is 3.2 grams, so I guess uh, you could Still say... Still rich. Uh, yeah, it's very rich, and that, that again is what attracted me to the project, because when one combines grade with infrastructure, it has a direct effect on operating costs, and uh, I think ours are going to be some of the lowest in the sector when this thing comes to production. Mm. So, so would you, I mean, I know you're in the process of doing economics. You've done a PEA, I believe, on these two projects so far, right? That's and, correct. And yeah. so are, is, is it envisioned that something along those lines in, in terms of numbers of ounces will be produced in the future? Well, uh, yes. In fact, uh, the PEA, or Preliminary Economic Assessment, that we filed on uh, the securities website in Canada called CEDAR in February of uh, 2014 uh, anticipates uh, a 12-year mine life uh, producing 145,000 ounces a year on average from the two deposits together feeding mm-hmm. a single mill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that single mill will be located, as I understand it, closer to the McLellan mine. How far apart are those two mines? The uh, That's right. And the haul road from Farley Lake to McLellan, which is already built and in place from the old days, uh, is uh, 40 kilometers or 25 miles. Okay. So you're, uh, you're hauling rich enough ore that, it, that the economics work. Is there is there some potential? I mean, already you have, if I'm 
if I'm remembering correctly, something over 4 million ounces identified in, in all categories. Is that right, between these two properties and a couple of others that you have there? Yes, that's correct. In fact, uh, Jay, uh, I'm glad you asked, but uh, in addition to these two 43101-compliant uh, uh, projects, uh, deposits, uh, Carlisle, or the joint venture, uh, owns another three gold deposits, which have 43101 uh, resources uh, wow. that are posted to CEDAR. And the total resources measured, indicated, and inferred on the property today is 5 million ounces. Wow. That's, I mean, this is, and again, uh, even if you assume only 40%, it's 40% of a big number, and yet your market cap, I'm, I, I feel confident in saying isn't reflective of, uh, of those values. Uh, in the ground, of course, of course, uh, ounces in the ground aren't worth anything until you get them out, but uh, uh, all the same. Um, Seems like a lot of a lot of potential here on the upside. Uh, so, what are so how far apart are these other mines? Then? And I, I would imagine that, that each of these mines might at some point have their own mills, possibly. Or is it? It's too early well, to say. Yeah, you know, uh, I, I anticipate once this mill uh, gets built at McClellan, it'll be in the range of seventy five hundred tons a day. It'll be bought and paid for through the production from Farley Lake and McClellan. And uh, so the vision is that the mill at McClellan would be centrally located because the other deposits that I mentioned, the uh, the burnt timber, the linkwood, and the uh, you know and the uh, Dunvegan uh, occurrence along Strike, they're to the south of uh, of Lynn Lake. So so mm-hmm. the the mill at McClellan turns out to be centrally located. Oh, okay. Yeah. And and the grades on these other deposits are they are they similar? Are they underground targets, or, or what are we talking about here? They're all open pit targets in terms of what we're targeting, in terms of what our core assets are. It's all open pit uh, that wow. we're looking for. Uh, the expiration that uh, that I mentioned, uh, we're about to announce, uh, you know, the, the start of drilling on expiration. We'll be focusing on that southern trend while Arico focuses on that northern trend with those two feasibility deposits. To your question about grade, uh, the grade in the south is about a gram lower uh, the average uh, weighted average grade between McClellan and Farley Lake is 2.2 grams open pit, life of mine. That's fully diluted grade. And the grades down at the burnt timber and linkwood deposits to the south are about 1.2 grams. So Arico determined uh, that in its wisdom, and we agree, that they, those deposits weren't quite ready for a feasibility test. And so we, uh, the, the mandate in exploration is to find higher grade shoots within that trend. I see. Okay. Well, what can you, um, you know, Rico? What, what can you tell our listeners that may maybe not that familiar with the gold mining industry? What can you tell us about Rico? How how big a company are they? And uh, you know, what what do they bring? Obviously, bring I suppose technical expertise as well as capital to the program. Yes, you know they certainly financed uh, Carlisle uh, to the tune of 10.6 million on the downstroke. Uh, they committed to 20 million dollars uh, spending uh, on feasibility over the next three years. I think they'll spend it in two. Um, interestingly, and and very positively, I think for Arico shareholders, uh, they also just announced a merger, a friendly merger of equals with uh, Alamos Gold, another TSX listed and NYSE listed company with gold production in Mexico. Uh, interesting, the market caps of the two companies were almost within 2% of each other when they announced their friendly deal oh. uh, less than a month ago. 
we've been told effectively that this merger is uh, good for Carlisle. In fact, they've uh, they've listed the Lynn Lake assets as one of their prime prime uh, development prospects. Mm. And uh, so we'll see on a combined basis. We'll see uh, a mid tier. Uh, mining company uh, called to be called Alamos Golds with uh, four uh, four hundred fifty million cash uh, on hand and a market cap of one and a half billion dollars. So, you know, again, uh, having been sort of uh, identified as a top development prospect uh, makes us feel pretty good. Yeah, indeed, uh, I, that that certainly adds even more strength with Alamos there as well. Well, yeah. there, you know, there, Abraham, you know, there are a large number of companies out there that are competing for investors' dollars. Uh, what, what can you tell our listeners, uh, what, what would you tell them in terms of uh, giving them the sales pitch as to why they should uh, take a really good look at your company as opposed to maybe a lot of the others that are out there, even, even companies maybe that are at your stage of development? Sure, appreciate that. Well, I mean, the presentation's at carlislegold.com, but uh, as I say, fundamentally, the, the, the vision and mission statement for Carlisle is where infrastructure meets grade. And ultimately, uh, Jay, um, you know, we show in that presentation how the McClellan and Farley Lake deposits stack up to every other uh, North American development project, and we have the highest grades bar none. If you combine that with some of the lowest cost um, uh, power, hydroelectric power in Manitoba, Canada, in the world today, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we've actually done that analysis, and it comes in number three in the world at about three cents a kilowatt hour. Compare that to, uh, you know, I think your listeners can compare that to their hydro bills. But, you know, you you combine those kinds of low infrastructure, uh, low low hydro costs, you know, highway accessible, rail accessible, airport accessible uh, from Winnipeg and so forth. Um, you put those two together, and again, we're heading for operating costs that are some of the lowest in the sector, uh, and we're heading for, you know, uh, a share of production that uh, is probably, you know, is several times uh, what our market cap is today in terms of value. So from our perspective, look, uh, we, uh, we're on the path here. We're in feasibility. Um, you know, we have a great partner, and, uh, you know, we're hitting benchmarks, uh, you know, on a regular basis. So from, from that perspective, uh, uh, the other thing is our PEA was run at $1,100 gold, and it had a 34% internal rate of return. Wow. Uh, gold prices, as you mentioned earlier in your broadcast, are at 1200 and uh, we ran it at a U.S. Canadian dollar exchange rate of uh, 90 cents, and that exchange rate is currently 82 cents. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, it takes the RRRs actually into the 50s at at, at current uh, exchange rates and, uh, and, and uh, U.S. dollar gold price. Uh-huh. So it's it's a very interesting um, project at today's gold prices. We don't need higher gold prices to uh, to be highly economic. Well, that certainly is uh, that certainly is assuring. Of course, uh, if we do get higher gold prices, which I, I believe are likely, um, mm-hmm. but that's only my belief, that uh, that'd be icing on the cake. Then, do you, um, with the minute left here, do you see the possibility with higher gold prices of possibly uh, adding ounces and and going to lower grade, or is that not the characteristic of your deposits? Well, uh, what I see happening is I see. Um, 
the the project being built on the basis of Farley and McClellan, as I mentioned, uh, 145,000 ounces a year for 12 years, at an average uh, head, uh, throughput head grade of 2.2 grams. That mill at that point will be bought and paid for. Uh, there are other deposits in the belt at slightly lower grade, but a correspondingly lower hurdle rate for production because the mill's already there. So mm-hmm. I think that although. Uh, Rico, then Alamos will build it on the basis of uh, an initial project. I think the you know of twelve years. I think they'll be there for twenty or longer, twenty years sure. or longer. Sure. Well, it's a, it's a really good story, and it's one that I want to highlight for my subscribers again in the near term now, having refreshed my memory uh, of your story. Thank you very much, Abraham, for being with us today, and I look forward to uh, keeping up with your story and, and having you on again sometime in the near future to update our listeners. Well, thanks very much for having me, Jay. Really good to talk to you. Well, folks, uh, don't go away. We do have to take a commercial break, but when we come back, Rick Rule, the chairman of Sprott U.S. Holdings, will be with us. Indeed, uh, Doug Casey once said of Rick, uh, actually, the two of them were together on this show, and Doug uh, called Rick the most successful investment advisor that he has ever known. So I I think you want to stick around and hear what Rick Rule has to say. Can Rick uh, give us some assurance that maybe the worst days are over in this gold uh, bear market that we've been suffering through over the last few years. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Rick Rule. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Calinex is a junior with major near-term catalysts. This tightly held company is advancing its projects containing copper, zinc, gold, and silver in Manitoba, Canada. Kalinex's projects are within 10 miles to Hud Bay's mine that has less than five years of war. Kalinex has high-grade deposits and new targets with exciting discovery potential, with drill results anticipated shortly. Now is the time to learn more about Kalinex by visiting kalinex.ca. That's C-A-L-L-I-N-E-X dot C-A. Kalinex is publicly traded under the symbols CNX in Canada and CLLXF in the U.S. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Rick Rule. 
He is the chairman of Sprott U.S. Holdings, and uh, Rick uh, has been on this show a number of times in the past. He really doesn't need too much of any uh, introduction. Those of you who are familiar with this industry at least know him well, know his name. Uh, he's been around for quite a few years with lots of experience in the resource sector among um, uh, among mining and uh, energy companies, really is uh, as much an expert in uh, the energy field probably as he is in the mining sector, but very well known very well uh, regarded in both areas and indeed uh, Doug Casey it was on this show one time when he was along with Rick uh, said of Rick that he is the the best investment advisor that he has ever met and known so uh, that's those are pretty high compliments coming from a very successful investor himself Doug Casey welcome Rick it's really good to have you with me again always a pleasure to be with you thank you always always good to have you um, and and how are you feeling these days Rick I know you had some surgery and you're doing you're doing really well when I saw you the last time you I'm, look like a million bucks I, I should I'm, say a billion bucks I'm delighted to say that both the surgery and the underlying condition that uh, caused the surgery seem to be under control of course I'm still afflicted with the maladies that one might expect a 62-year-old to be afflicted with. But the truth is I feel great for the first time in a couple of years, which is a wonderful blessing. Thank you for asking. Oh, that's really good, Rick. I'm glad to hear that. Um, Well, you know... Before we get started here with some of the questions I want to ask you, I would like to tell my listeners that there is an important investment conference coming up in July in Vancouver that I know you're very much a part of, um, known as the Sprott Stansbury Vancouver Natural Resource Symposium, and it will be held at the Fairmont Hotel July 28th through the 31st uh, in Vancouver. Uh, listeners can go to J. Taylor Media and click on the rotating banner there to learn more about uh, about this event. But, uh, Rick, perhaps you could just tell our listeners a little bit about it. Uh, what's going to transpire at this at this event? Well, we're excited about it for, norm- for a number of reasons. The, this will be the 20th anniversary of this conference. Uh, it was started by Agora Publishing some years ago. I, I guess what sets the conference apart is really uh, threefold. The first is that unlike many investment conferences, this conference will feature as keynote speakers uh, a number of industry spokespeople too. The team that built as an example, uh, um, Franco Nevada, Silver Wheaton, uh, of course Robert Friedland will be there. And we think it's important for investors to talk to entrepreneurs who have built very large companies about the lessons they learned building the companies mm-hmm. and what the important attributes in the mind building and company building process are. The other thing that probably sets this conference apart from other conferences is that attendees have told us for years that they considered the exhibitors to be content. Most conference sponsors consider the exhibitors to be advertisers. Sure. And at most conferences, the qualification to be an exhibitor is basically a pulse and a check that cashes, of course, in reverse <laughs> order. The <laughs> attendees have told us that the sponsors aren't advertisers, that they're, in fact, content too. And so from the Sprott viewpoint, for better or for worse, we have to be decent-sized shareholders of all of the companies that are invited to attend. We said to our attendees, we understand what you're saying with regards to exhibitors being content. And while there's no guarantee that every one of the exhibitors will become successful companies, there is a guarantee that we are interested in them enough and know enough about them that we own them with our own money. As Mm -hmm. far as I know, this is the only conference that follows that format in the world. And we think it's very honest. 
Well, it, it cer- certainly sounds like it. You put your money where your mouth is, and uh, uh, you know I think that's it's very wise uh, for people to pay attention to people that do that. So it's uh, Rick. I'd like to ask you, um, you know, our favorite metal, mine at least, and I suspect it's yours as well, gold. Um, it was perhaps a year ago or so when you were on this show, and you know we were. I was at least. I don't know that you were lamenting the decline in the gold price, but I was. And uh, you reminded me that that I'm old enough to remember the last time we had a major bull market. We had a secular bull market in the 1970s. Gold dropped from around two hundred dollars to one hundred dollars, and, and this was about the time when gold had fallen from its lofty nineteen hundred to a little under twelve hundred or so. I suspect somewhere in that range. And and you reminded me that uh, listen, Jay, you know we've been through this before. Uh, it will recover again, and and probably will go on to to new highs sometime. I think you said that. Uh, we just had Michael Oliver, a technical analyst that I hold in high esteem, with us earlier today, uh, and he's very firmly of the opinion that we are in a bottoming process and the worst is most likely over with. He's not absolutely sure of that, but where where do you stand on that? Do you think the worst is over with, Rick, on gold? I don't have any any skills as a technical analyst, Jay, but my suspicion, my conclusions are probably uh, probably the same. And and I say that for several reasons. When we talked before, uh, I said that there were 60 or 70 factors that are cited as being the cause of gold's weakness. But I believe that gold is locked in a war with the U.S. dollar. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. dollar's supremacy, I think, hegemony, in fact, has been responsible, in my view, for most of gold's weakness. You know, Jay, yeah. that if you measured uh, gold's performance in almost any currency in the world for the last 13 or 14 months other than the U.S. dollar, the mm-hmm. gold is already in a bull market. Yeah. And gold has done the job that it has been hired, if you will, to do through millennia in most currencies other than the U.S. dollar. Of course, you and I spend U.S. dollars, so we need to measure gold's performance in U.S. dollars. And there, I think the trends are encouraging, too. First, uh, it's important to note that there are $4 trillion in sovereign securities worldwide that have a negative real yield. And I would argue that the number is actually much higher if the nominal yields were um, priced accurately. The benchmark global security, of course, is the U.S. 10-year Treasury, which promises to yield you 1.8% in a currency that the government acknowledges is depreciating at 1.6%. So if you use their numbers, that's giving you a 20 basis points or two-tenths of 1% yield. What they're really saying to you is that if you give them money for 10 years, they absolutely positively promise to give you back less than you gave them. Jim Grant famously calls that return-free risk. And I understand that the attractiveness of sovereign instruments is people's fear of general market securities. I get that that it's a fear trade, not a greed trade. But from my own viewpoint, the promise that they're absolutely positively going to give me back less than what they gave me guarantees me a loss, which is not very attractive. The second part of that, Jay, which I think is very bullish for gold, is that six or seven years ago, your real cost for holding gold was the positive return on the U.S. 10-year treasury. It was 6%, which mm-hmm. meant that by owning gold, you were forswearing 6% interest on a nominally return-free risk. In other words, there was a real cost associated with holding gold. The fact that the alternative is not very attractive and that the real holding costs of of owning gold have gone down 
cause me to suspect that the next while, and by while I mean two or three years, will be quite positive for gold. And that is absent exogenous shocks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, that's certainly promising, I, I guess. We've had a period of weakness here, though, and it's been a great time for people with money to pick up assets. We were just talking to Abraham Drost uh, of Carlisle Goldfields, and uh, you know, looking at that looks like a good situation. I don't know if you if you're familiar with that one. I know you you certainly at Sprott are looking at undervalued assets. That's been uh, that's been your forte essentially to be able to pick up things uh, to pick up value, and you've done a remarkable job, which is why you've been so successful, I suppose, Rick, over the years. But I want to ask you that you think we might be seeing an improvement here in the fortunes of the gold mining companies already, because I'm looking at Newmont's uh, first quarter earnings. They came out much, much stronger than the analysts were expecting. I saw that the gold price decline, the cost of producing gold fell by about 19%. Now, whether they're doing it by higher grading, I haven't dug into the numbers enough to understand to know that for sure. And I know a lot of it, a lot of their improvement also came from uh, from copper production, uh, they increased their production with a recent copper acquisition. I think they made, and they, uh, but that cost of producing a pound of copper went down by fifty-one percent uh, to a dollar thirty-three or something like that. I think that's a cash cost. Uh, but, but do you have a sense of whether or not maybe the gold miners, the big guys, uh, might be turning the corner? I I think they are turning the corner. We've talked before about the fact that. For many years, mining companies made poor investment decisions because they viewed themselves really as warrants for higher gold prices rather than mm-hmm. good operating businesses. Mm-hmm. And the outperformance in the market of companies that generated free cash, like Gold Corp, Franco Nevada, and Rand Gold, I think has been a lesson to the rest of the industry. And I think the rest of the industry is learning the lessons, including, of course, Newmont and Barrick, which mm-hmm. is a helpful thing. Uh, I, I'm not trying to say that the gold mining industry is yet a well-run business. It's not. But it's a better run business than it, than it was, and that will inure to the benefit of shareholders. I think maybe more exciting for your listeners is the fact that the, the junior markets have continued the trend that we identified a year ago, which I called bifurcation. And that suggests that although the TSXV, which is still off 80% in real terms, has separated in effect into two industries where the best 10 or 20% of the companies uh, on the index have truly separated from the past and never mind have bottomed or on their way up. That's evidenced by the financings available to the better quality teams. Uh, Now, it isn't apparent in the index because the index is still polluted by so many companies with negative working capital and no reason to exist, the so-called zombies. But the truth is that the better companies in the industry, the better junior companies in the industries are up 20, 30, 40% from their bottoms. And a real recovery is underway on a qualitative basis. And it's precisely this uh, qualitative recovery, the fact that the best companies in the industry lead, that will eventually lead the rest of them out of their doldrums. In this particular case, the sins that existed during the bull market of the last decade were so manifest that it's likely that the recovery process will be much more gradual than many of your listeners would like. But the truth is that the best of the best aren't merely bottoming. They're in a bull market of their very own. Yeah, and and speaking of juniors, let's talk about a fund that Sprott has recently uh, set up uh, for, it's an ETF, in fact, uh, for junior mining companies. I guess the symbol trades on the New York Stock Exchange. The symbol is SGDM, I, I believe, Rick. Yes, we actually have two ETFs now. Um, 
We have one SGDM for the majors. It was our point of view that the existing ETF, the XAU, made a mistake by being market cap weighted, and we decided to do factors-based investing, things like the generation of free cash, uh, free cash relative to debt, and revenue increases so that we wouldn't buy industries in liquidation. That was a very successful product launch. Uh, although we, we launched it in June of last year, in an atmosphere where one of the worst performing major market sectors in the market was gold mining, we were still the ninth most successful ETF launch in the United States last year, which says something oh, wow. yeah. about the high regard that the industry still has for gold mining and we hope for Sprott. Much more recently, uh, we've launched a junior mining index. Uh, and again, not market cap weighted, but rather factors based. Uh, oh. We believe that the best of the best of the juniors will substantially outperform the junior market in the next two or three years. And we suspect that the recovery that has already begun to occur has been qualitatively weighted. So we have, we've now started a uh, junior gold miners ETF to mirror the success of our senior gold miners ETF. And we're very excited about this product launch. As you know, we've been intimately involved in the uh, small cap, uh, mid cap, and micro cap junior mining market for many years. And we thought that this ETF was a wonderful addition to uh, retail investors' arsenals, and we're proud to have sponsored it. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, uh, between you and, and the Sprout organization yourself before you joined Sprout, I don't know of anybody that has been probably more into the junior mining sector than uh, than your two institutions. So it certainly you would be as appropriate to launch something like this. What is the name of this fund, Eric and uh, uh, I mean, uh, Rick and Sprout Junior Miners Index? Sprout Junior Miners Index. Uh, all right. Well, we'll certainly start to follow that. I called you Eric. I'm sorry. It's Rick Rule, Eric Sprott. But anyway. I'm not embarrassed to be called Eric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you reminded me that it's his name on the door. But, but nonetheless, uh, uh, you have become a very important part of that institution. I'm really uh, glad. I think it's a, it's a, it really is um, a, a fantastic uh, organization, Sprott, and uh, I've learned to know some of the people there. Really a strong management team that you have. You know, you have now uh, gotten involved in a hostile takeover of the Central Gold Trust and the Silver Bullion Trust. Uh, you know, I've known I've known of these uh, of these trusts. These uh, e, uh, CEF is another one. It's a gold and silver trust that uh, uh, my friend Ian McAvitty has been involved with. I think over the years. And in any event, um, you know, I sort of felt like Adrian Day. Uh, his his viewpoint was, you know, why change it? I like to buy gold when it's undervalued. I mean, this is a, these funds have tended to trade either significantly below their. NAV or significantly above. During bear markets, you can buy the metal really inexpensively in that way. In bull markets, you have to pay a premium. So, I mean, um, Adrian has said, well, you know, I rather like being able to buy gold cheaply, so just leave me alone. <laughs> but you are, are, are launching a fund, and clearly, uh, you know, it's an inefficient market if it's not priced close to NAV. Uh, but but could you explain to our listeners? I mean, is it is it just this arbitrage opportunity, or, or what are you doing here, Rick? Why why the hostile takeover? We have been asked for years, and I personally have been asked for years by many central fund shareholders to improve the governance of central fund. Uh, we believe that the uh, Sprott 
trust products are better products. We believe that they're better products in the first instance because they're redeemable for precious metals. Mm -hmm. A unit holder in the Sprott product, a a sizable unit holder, I should add, uh, can redeem their trust units for physical metal. And that makes our product a much better proxy for physical metal. The consequence of the fact that our funds are redeemable, where theirs are not, is that our sell at or near that asset value. And many shareholders of the central fund product have said that they want a paper proxy that offers up the convenience of an exchange-traded uh, product, but is in effect a proxy for gold. They don't want to buy something that trades at a 12 or a 15% discount to gold if they need their cash. Uh-huh. Because there's two decisions. There's a buy decision and there's a sell decision. And finally... I think it's very important for North American investors in particular who are really concerned with security to know more about the investment manager. I'm not casting dispersions on the Spicer family because I don't know their financials. And I know Mm -hmm. their financials because they're not public. Mm -hmm. When you look at who runs the Sprott products, it is Sprott. It's a public company. You can see our balance sheet and you can see our income statement every three months. And by the way, they're damn good. And I think Mm -hmm. it's important that you know something about the financial condition of the manager and sponsor of your financial products. And so for those three reasons, the fact that our products more accurately mimic the price action in gold, silver, and platinum and palladium, because our products are redeemable and theirs aren't, and because they've had 15 years to change that feature in their product and haven't chosen to do it, and because increasingly investors demand knowledge as to who the sponsor and manager of their investments are, we have decided that we would be better stewards of the capital, the investors' capital represented in these markets than the existing management team. And by the way, uh, large individual investors and small retail investors across the length and breadth of North America are agreeing with us. All right. Well, it certainly makes sense, Rick. I, I, it's hard to argue with uh, with those three points that you just made. I, I must say that, uh, uh, you know, it's uh, although I, I don't uh, at the same time don't disagree with it, my, our friend Adrian as well, who sort of like to buy cheap and sell low. But I guess if you're, you know, who knows when you might have to sell, and then you have to sell something at way below the uh, NAV, which wouldn't be a happy circumstance either. So, uh, you know, both both Adrian and Ian are personal friends of mine, and I would be delighted to have a public discussion with one or both of them. Uh, oh, that I, would be fun, I think and, it would, and it would I, be in, and it would be in a good spirit too. I have no uh, doubt about that, Rick. Knowing, I think uh, the facts in this situation are quite clear. And, yeah, it, uh, it, <laughs> I think they need to be. I think they need to be discussed in a public format. Well, we're doing it here from your side of it, and I guess uh, I, I guess Ian would be welcome to come on and talk as well uh, to present the other side. But I. Anyway, uh, thank you very much for that. With a couple of minutes left here yet, I just wanted to ask you real quickly. You did an interview with uh, uh, Tacoa da Silva recently in which you stated that we haven't seen capitulation in natural resources yet. And that was about two and a half months ago or so, Rick. Do you think we're there yet? Are we close? I mean, you, you give your opinion on gold. Uh, you think we're, we may be probably pretty close. But what about the general uh, commodity uh, sector. We have not seen a capitulation in resource equity markets. These capitulation, well, you'll know them if Oil. you see them. A capitulation is a truly ugly sell-off, nor have we seen issuer capitulation. There's no necessary, necessary God-given law that says we have to have a capitulation before the markets turn up. 
what capitulation is useful for is it, in my experience, has marked the end of a bear market. And I would have been much more comfortable calling for rapidly recovering markets had I seen a capitulation. The consequence of no capitulation is that the recovery, if that's what we're in, will be more saucer-shaped. Yeah. Well, we'll have to leave it go with that, Rick. Thank you very much. I, I could go on and on with you for another hour, but uh, we are out of time. So thank you very much for being with us. And folks, again, uh, check out all that Sprott has to offer on their website. Uh, Rick, the website would be Sprott. What, do you know what it is offhand? www.sprottglobal. That's S-P-R-O-T-T-G-L-O-B-A-L.com. Thank you very much, Rick, for being with us. Thank you uh, so much. We'll look to do it again sometime soon, I hope. Thanks. Well, folks, uh, that's it for this week. Next week, uh, James Perloff will be with me uh, to discuss more from his book, Truth is a Lonely Warrior. Also, Sean Wallace, the CEO of RN Resources, will be with me. I want to thank Tacey Trump, my producer, Matt Widener, my engineer, and all of you for listening. Until next week, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Where infrastructure meets grade. Carlisle Goldfields, a TSX-listed Canadian junior miner, has an advanced gold asset in Lynn Lake, Manitoba, Canada, and is being carried through feasibility in a joint venture with NYSE-listed Orico Gold. The Lynn Lake Gold Camp has an open pitable gold resource of 1.7 million ounces measured and indicated and 2.3 million ounces inferred. Orico is in it to build it, and the project is expected to be in mineable reserves by Q3 2016. Government and First Nations support Carlisle's move to production at Lynn Lake. Oren Resources is a Canadian-based gold exploration company focused on the company's flagship Committee Bay project located in northern Canada, one of the best mining jurisdictions in the world. The company's current resource outlined by drilling thus far stands at 1.1 million ounces of gold at over 8 grams per ton. Oren is operated by the same team that founded Asanko Gold, which is constructing a major gold mine in West Africa, and Caden Resources, which was recently purchased in November for over $200 million.